Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. If you were in Japan back in February when the Pfizer vaccine was first approved, you'll remember the frustratingly slow pace of the vaccine rollout here, as many other countries around the world ramped up their vaccine programs at speed. The slow pace continued through to the start of summer, but in August, Japan distributed its 100th million dose of vaccine, and almost 50% of the country is now fully vaccinated against COVID 19. Later this month, Japan is set to pass the US when it comes to the percentage of its citizens fully vaccinated. Of course, there are still many, many people who have yet to receive the vaccine, and it is vital that they do and as soon as possible. But with around 1 million shots being given each day, Japan will soon be in the position where everyone who wants a vaccine will be able to receive one. Still, obstacles remain, and that's why I wanted to once again chat with Lisa Du, a reporter at Bloomberg's Tokyo Bureau, to get an update on Japan's vaccine rollout and the challenges in vaccinating the remaining half of the population. Lisa Du, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Very happy to be back. Long time no talk. So, since we last talked, you have been vaccinated. In fact, we've both been vaccinated. How was that experience for you? Yes,、um, I was vaccinated in June and July, actually because I was accredited to cover the Olympics as media. And so the IOC had given the Tokyo Metropolitan Government a donation of Pfizer vaccines, and they basically allowed everyone connected with the Olympics to be vaccinated. But、um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was very exciting to be vaccinated. And、um, my side effects were, quite, were pretty mild. There's just a lot of aches,、mm-hmm. um, you know. But,、um, I, I stupidly went for a run. The day of my first vaccine, not having read the instructions properly.、Mm. And my side effects after the first vaccine were pretty grim just because the, the aches and pains of a run, plus a bit of a fever and a bit of joint ache from the vaccine.、God. But the,、uh, the second one was fine. Oh, yeah, I, I feel like there, I've, I've had a, f- a friend or two where the first dose, actually, side effects were worse than the second、mm. one, which I thought was kind of weird. But yeah, the, I just felt like when everyone asked me how it was, I said it's basically every ache, small ache and pain you have in your body, it just amplified 10 times for about 24 hours.、Mm. And you take some painkillers, and usually that helps. <laughs> yeah, after my first night's sleep, I was feeling much better. But let's talk about the vaccine rollout more generally.、Uh, we'll start with the numbers. And last episode, we had you on. We were celebrating because Japan had reached the massive milestone of 500,000 vaccines. That was back in March, almost six months ago now. How many people have received a vaccine as of early September? Yeah, it's crazy how much things have changed in the last half year. So, as of last Friday, the count from the government was that 133 million doses have been given in Japan. Wow. That covers 47%, almost half of the population fully vaccinated.、Um, and it's about 58% has had their first dose. And within that, actually, nearly 90% of people over the age of 65 have been fully vaccinated, which is Quite an impressive figure is actually higher than the US.、Mm. It honestly was really slow in the beginning and frustrated a lot of people, I think. But once they got rolling, it really just zoomed.、Mm. Yeah, very quickly got up to about a million doses being given a day after that yeah, initial very, very slow period. I remember、mm-hmm. February and March when we were talking, just feeling like an eternity as we waited for these vaccines to roll out. Yeah, and I think people were more frustrated because they were watching people get vaccinated like on TV and hearing about it happening, but it wasn't reaching them. And then, you know, they took that very cautious stance in the beginning where they only vaccinated like 40,000 medical workers and expanded the medical people. And then they did a really slow elderly rollout. 
and then expanded that. But basically, it really sped up after Golden Week in May, and then just kind of went from there. And in June, the national government kind of also they they joined the the vaccination rollout where they the Ministry of Defense through the Self Defense Forces opened these you know massive vaccine mass vaccination centers, and then they also added workplace vaccination. So mm-hmm. that all I think helped get to the million shots a day in mid June. And since then, it's been up at about that pace um, every day, on a daily basis. Mm. And we hit about 100 million shots in mid-August. I think I emailed you at that point to try and set up this episode and using the 100 million mm-hmm. vaccines as the hook, but already we're at 133 plus million at the time of recording. So it really has accelerated. At this point then, how does Japan's vaccine rollout compare to other major economies around the world? The overall percentage of fully vaccinated is still slightly less, but at the pace that Japan is going, uh, most estimates say it'll probably, you know, you'll probably have more fully vaccinated percentage of people in Japan than the U.S. come maybe later this month or early next month. Um, You know, the U.S. kind of had also had a really fast start, but then, you know, they have a lot of political issues around vaccine hesitancy. So they're kind of stuck at around a little over 50 percent fully vaccinated and um you know, I think Japan will cross that point very soon. Mm-hmm. And you said about 47, 48% of people are currently fully vaccinated in Japan. How does this break down by age group? Is it still very much skewed towards the elderly population? Yes. So among that 47%, you know, you have um, nearly 90% of people over the age of 65 fully vaccinated. So that is heavily skewed towards the elderly population. And then a lot of people are younger are not covered. And so you're seeing that play out in like the virus infection numbers Mm -hmm. and who the serious cases are affecting, which is now more people in their middle age and younger. Japan doesn't break down the data very specifically by age demographics. But if you're looking at just certain wards in Tokyo, which release this data, you are seeing, you know, people over the age of 65 fully vaccinated about 80 percent or more. And then people in their 20s to 40s, all at 20 to 30 percent of them fully vaccinated. So there is this big gap in um, who is fully vaccinated in Japan. Mm -hmm. And you said that's playing out in the COVID data when we're seeing who is becoming infected now and who the serious cases are. Do you have a breakdown of those kind of statistics as well? Again, it's not broken out very specifically on a national level. But we like to look at Tokyo just because it's, you know, it's the capital and the biggest city. And so in the January wave in Tokyo, at the peak, about 30% of new infections were people over the age of 60. Mm-hmm. Um, in this current wave, um, you know, which is, you know, you're seeing the highest number of infections yet about, you know, at some point in the peak, it was over 25,000 daily cases This in all of Japan. But in this current wave in Tokyo, um, no more than 5-6% of the new cases are those over the age of 65. And what you're seeing is the majority of the new cases are those concentrated in their 20s and 30s and those in their kind of 40s and 50s and mainly, you know, basically people that haven't been vaccinated. That same, it's also kind of reflecting in the serious cases. Coronavirus is does still, you know, affect elderly more and they are more likely to turn serious and die. But, you know, back in January, there was basically no young people in the ICU. And now, you know, ER doctors are saying, the ICUs mainly fill people in their middle age and you are seeing, you know, people in their 20s and 30s amount for that, that serious case count as well as um, some pass away also from COVID. So with that in mind, with the number of young people who are 
getting infected or young and middle-aged people who are getting infected. What is the government's timeline for so-called universal access to vaccines? You know, making sure that anyone who does want a vaccine is able to get one. Both the now outgoing Prime Minister um, Suga and the vaccine minister uh, Kono has said that um, they are aiming for basically universal access by November. Basically, they've said that anyone that wants to be vaccinated can be vaccinated by November, and they're aiming for 80% of the population then to be fully vaccinated. Mm -hmm. I think they're giving kind of a, a very national expectation. I think this is kind of going to be kind of uneven across Japan because the rollout is completely controlled on a municipal level. So, you know, I, I know there are some villages where everyone's been vaccinated already and some places where they're still just getting through people in their, you know, 40s. But I, it looks like November will be that, you know, where nationally they'll be kind of there together. Mm -hmm. What are the main obstacles then in getting the rest of the population vaccinated at this point? Let's maybe start with vaccine supply. Yeah, so I, I think vaccine supply was really pointed to as an issue in the beginning because they were just very uneasy about if there was going to be guaranteed supply coming from the EU, which is where all the Pfizer and Moderna was coming from. Mm. And um, it actually has never ended up becoming an issue. Um, it's kept coming. And actually, you know, Japan still is on the receiving end of the most amount of vaccines exported from the EU. Japan has an issue with distribution of the vaccinations. You saw this start to happen kind of in mid-late July when some big cities stopped taking reservations, new reservations for vaccinations, mm. um, citing uncertain supply. But there was actually ample supply of Pfizer in the country. It just wasn't going where it needed to be. Mm. And, and what was causing that? So they were, essentially they were sending vaccines in the amount that was requested by the municipalities in the beginning without really checking their progress. And so, of course, you can imagine many municipalities probably requested more than they needed just um, like out of a risk-averse thing. And even Kono had mentioned they realized that some municipalities were hoarding vaccines and not using them. Mm. So I think, you know, Japan's system was very good because they guaranteed equality of access. So no matter if you're a big city or a village of 100 people, you were all getting vaccines in the very beginning. But you can imagine, you know, when this is scaling up very fast, you're going to end up in this situation where vaccines are not going where they are needed the most or being used up the fastest. And so I think that's that was an issue and that caused some delays in, you know, in access. And I think even now some young people say they have to wait a long time to secure a vaccination appointment or like they can make an appointment today but it'll be next month mm. or even later. So that supply issue, I think, has spooked some people kind of back in the middle of the summer and still kind of playing out. Mm -hmm. And then how is vaccine hesitancy playing into the vaccination rollout? I think if you look at the elderly numbers, vaccine hesitancy obviously has not been an issue at all. You've got almost 90% fully vaccinated. And hesitancy does increase as the age groups get younger. So, you, you know, um, on polls, it, you do see young people you know, less willing to get a shot. But it's actually not that, it's not, the numbers aren't that high. It's like maybe like 20, 30% saying they don't want to get a shot, you know, if you're in the 20s or 30s, which is still, you're getting like 70% cover, which mm. is very good. It's too, I think it's still too early to gauge how hesitant the youth are because they are still going through the initial like demand of people that really want a vaccine. So, you know, once you get through that, then you'll, you'll be able to see it. And I, I think this all, you'll probably see this around the same time in the late fall when, mm. you know, they've, everyone get a vaccine, then you'll know like how hesitant the people are, but it does not seem to be an issue right now. Right. And we saw with 
it was, was the Tokyo Metropolitan Government who opened a vaccine centre in Shibuya specifically targeting young people. And for that, there were queues and queues and queues. I think at one point stretching from Shibuya to Omota Sando, maybe even longer yeah. uh, for people hoping to get a vaccine there. Yes, it was Shibuya to Harajuku. Harajuku, okay. So that's a, like a what 20-minute walk. And they said it was like over 2,000 people in line. And it was, it, it was basically a vaccination centre they opened in Shibuya with they allowed walk-ins, but it wasn't in walk-ins in a sense because people were lining up in the dead of night to get the first spot. And um, and they were only doing 200 a day. Mm. And it was kind of, it wasn't a good look because I think it shows one, they really misunderstood how much demand there was among the youth. And also it just wasn't good planning, I think, you know, and th- there are shots in Shibuya and it made it seem like there wasn't enough shots and because they just had this one center for the youth. I think they've since uh, tried to address the issue. Tokyo has opened up like two or three more centers for targeted just for the young people from it's from age 16 to 39. And additionally, the mass vaccination centers run by the national government now um, has slots just for the younger age groups. I think about, I think they did a whole fresh like wave of re- reservations and 30,000 slots were reserved just for that younger demographic. So they are trying to get them in. The vaccine hasn't been politicized here in the same way as, you know, we've seen in other countries around the world, right? F- judging from what you're saying, whereby the uptake amongst groups who have been able to access it is very high and young people don't seem that hesitant, especially relative to countries like the United States, perhaps. Yes, I, I def- it's definitely not politicized here in Japan. You do get, you know, people that are vaccine hesitant and, um, for some, some of them for the same reasons the U.S. where, you know, they're very w- weirdly like new agey health conscious. I, I, I don't know if that's the best politically correct way to describe them, but, you know, you and then some people that are, you know, maybe influenced by misinformation online, which also does happen in Japan. And and then you're also getting those are just very worried about side effects. So kind of all those I think a lot of those things you see happen in Western countries are happening probably at a smaller scale in Japan mm-hmm. and and of course, in Japan, it's also not politically motivated that much at all. Mm-hmm. So with the relatively high demand in mind, have we seen much in the way of incentives for people to get vaccines? Yes. Yeah, so they are starting to roll out incentives. I, and I, I feel it's like happening, again, on a very local level because the vaccine rate is uneven across Japan. Looking at, say, Guma Prefecture, which is just more of a rural area right outside Tokyo, um, they started this incentive program to get younger people vaccinated where if you are fully vaccinated by the end of November, September, they'll enter you into a lottery to win like a car or like travel vouchers worth thousands of dollars. Mm. So I think at some point, you know, maybe once there is more universal access across the board, um, you could see incentives. But, you know, right now you're seeing it done at a very local level to get the young vaccinated. Mm. And if incentives are the carrot, then mandates are probably the stick. Are we seeing any discussion in terms of mandates in Japan? I'm hearing like there here and there like small companies that are requiring vaccinations. Like there was this like Isakaya chain that was basically asking their employees to get vaccinated. I don't think vaccine mandates would actually be allowed be legal in Japan. And I can see a lot of people creating a fuss if that was ever allowed. But um, I do think, you know, that soon they'll start creating policies that make it really inconvenient for you if you mm. don't have a vaccine. 
like, you know, they have, um, they recently have started discussion of a roadmap basically out of the pandemic because they are anticipating people to be vaccinated. And one, one thing that was brought up was if you have a vaccine certificate, you may be able to travel across prefectures, even if there is kind of a state of emergency, or you mm. may be able to use you know, um, the GoTo program again if you have a vaccine certificate. Oh, a distant, distant memory of the GoTo <laughs> yes. travel campaign. Yeah, I read it in the news. I was like, oh, I forgot about that. And um, so I think there will be policies that basically that, may, that really will heavily incentivize you to, um, even if it's not with a car, but basically, you know, to make life easier to, to get mm. vaccinated. So in mid-August, we heard stories of several batches of contaminated Moderna vaccines and eventually about 1.5 or 1.6 million doses had to be disposed of and recalled due to fears of contamination. Following that announcement, two men who had received doses from the contaminated batches died shortly after receiving their vaccines. Though I've got to stress, it's not clear that there's any relationship whatsoever between their deaths and the vaccines and the case is still being investigated. Has that contamination scare had any effect on the vaccine rollout so far? I don't think it's slowed down the rollout. Only, you know, 1.6 million doses of the Moderna was stopped and now it's it's been recalled and it didn't they didn't stop any other Moderna doses and that progressed as usual. I'm not sure if it'll affect people's willingness to get Moderna, but in Japan, you know, Japan doesn't have that many Moderna doses. Most of the vaccinations are happening through Pfizer. So we're not going to see shortages in vaccines because people are wary about getting the Moderna vaccine. I don't think so. And it, it was it was much and they, they were they were very transparent about basically saying like they observe these foreign substances and we're going to suspend these um, these lots um, out of caution, but it wasn't even like a regulatory stop where they, they did that in the US. You remember earlier in the year with the Johnson Johnson vaccine where they were like, we want to make people really aware of these side effects. So we're going to do like a, it was like the FDA issued a temporary stop. And so it wasn't even on that scale of seriousness. And I did, th- I do think it made the municipalities administering the vaccines way more cautious. So in the week after that report, you're, you start seeing all these news reports of municipalities saying basically saying like oh we found these pink substances in the syringe and we saw this and it wasn't an affected lot and um I, I i think most of those issues were found to be related to getting pieces of the stopper and the vials mm. getting caught when the needle went in and so it seemed to be unrelated but you did you did get people becoming i think more hyper vigilant about it and um the other thing to note is that um, this isn't like that the two men that died it, the, it is still under investigation. Um, it, it wasn't the first deaths ever linked with a vaccination in Japan. I think any death that happens within a few days after a vaccination is reported out of and tracked out of caution mm. and investigated by the Ministry of Health and they keep a database online about it. And most of them, you know, they investigate fully and they find that there's no link, but there's been about a, a couple hundred such cases with the Pfizer and I think there was about 10 with the Moderna. And I think mm. most of them are or almost all of them were basically this was this happened and we investigated there was no link. I guess when you're vaccinating 126 million people and you're starting with the elderly and most feral part of the population, there are always going to be some deaths following some of the doses. Yeah. So, so right now, the the thing what what Moderna has said is they think the two deaths are a coincidence. Hmm. 
the other story we saw in August, which was really very tragic, centred on a pregnant woman who was diagnosed with COVID-19 and because she wasn't accepted at any hospitals when she went into labour, she eventually gave birth at home and as a result of her situation, her baby unfortunately died. How has this incident changed the approach to vaccinating pregnant women here in Japan? So that very tragic incident, I think, really shined a light on one uh, kind of the shortcomings and holes in Japan's emergency care and hospitalization system, as well as the fact that um, a lot of pregnant women weren't getting vaccinated. So when Pfizer and Moderna ran their trials, uh, big trials last year, um, they actually, pregnant women weren't included in the, tr- in the trial. So when it was approved, it came with this big asterisk where it was said, if you are pregnant, um, please consult with your doctor. Mm-hmm. But since the approvals, many studies have been done to show that these shots are safe for pregnant women. And in fact, actually women can pass on the antibodies protections to their babies. So I think what's being done now is you are seeing many municipal areas in Japan kind of take a stronger stance on promoting vaccination for pregnant women. Um, Some municipalities are also creating um, slots kind of like with the youth where they are going to guarantee a certain amount of slots for, you know, pregnant women want to get vaccinated. And what is Japan's position on vaccinating children at the moment? Because this has been quite a controversial issue around the world. Or I think people have been very hesitant in working out whether to vaccinate children or not. Yeah, I think it is very kind of a global controversy where people aren't sure. And it's, you know, parents making a decision for their child. Over the summer, Japan did approve both Pfizer and Moderna um, for um, down to age 12. So when the initial initial approval was kind of for people in their teens, and now it's people 12 and older can get Mm -hmm. either shots. And um, there was, I I think Kono had mentioned that, you know, it would be good if they all got vaccinated over summer break. And there was some initial backlash over that because it sounded kind of like it was a requirement to get vaccinated over summer break. And mm. and there were like these news reports about like angry parents calling, you know, school boards, you know, with the, about how they, you know, you can't force me to vaccinate my kids. They are getting vaccinated. But and I, I, I've, I think there are also like clinics that will prioritize children. You know, that was over the holidays. The percentage of children that are fully vaccinated is slightly, is also, you know, much less than others. Mm -hmm. I think now that also schools are reopened and also you're seeing these, you know, the case number is so high, there's probably more enthusiasm towards vaccinating their children. I think parents are also, you know, scared that they could go to school and mix and also like infect members of the family. And you mentioned earlier the idea of a roadmap out of the state of emergency, um, which is a lovely idea because we have been in a state of emergency almost since the beginning of this year, with with the exception of a couple of weeks. Are increased vaccination rates likely to lead to the end of the ongoing state of emergency? Well, first of all, the state of emergency has been extended actually um, for the Tokyo area. And so it was originally going to, it was until September 12th, and now it'll be until the end of the month. And it's likely might apply to some of the other metro areas as well. So, so not, there's so that not first. <laughs> <laughs> but they, I think the government is also thinking now ahead to what to do once you have a, um, a large proportion of the population vaccinated, which is, you know, probably likely going to happen this year. 
And um, some of the reports that are coming out in the Japanese media suggest that, you know, it's they will likely ease restrictions. They'll allow eateries to serve alcohol and open late again. And, you know, and I and like I mentioned before, they, they do seem to say, you know, if you have you have been vaccinated, you can prove it, then it's fine to travel between prefectures. And, you know, there's even talks of bringing back, again, the go to campaign for that. So this is something I think that will be um, a, a focus point in the fall, especially as more people are vaccinated and people think of a, a roadmap um, mm. out of these restrictions. And how will vaccination passports or vaccination certificates factor into this? I know they have been distributing them since the end of July. I think it is July 26th. And I've managed to get my nice bit of paper from Shibuya Ward saying that I've been double vaccinated. Are these likely to become a more ubiquitous requirement around Japan to have some kind of proof of vaccination and to show this to get into venues or to allow certain travel? So it's interesting because uh, I think in, in the beginning when the vaccinations first started, Kono had said, oh, he doesn't anticipate using this at all domestically. Mm-hmm. But now it seems like, you know, these incentive structures built around like, oh, if you have your vaccination, then like you can do all these things. So it seems to it seems to actually be happening. Um, the vaccination passports that Japan is issuing was mainly issued to allow for people to use overseas mm-hmm not um, for Japan. Um, I also have mine, but I don't know how, I don't think it's useful at all in Japan. I imagine I'll, I'll use it way more when I go back to America to see my family as mm-hmm. well. Um, you know, even if you have it, when you come back into Japan, it doesn't exempt you from anything. You got to do the quarantine as well. So, but you, you know, you, you are seeing, you know, there's some restaurants that if you have proof of vaccination in Japan, they'll, they'll give you a discount. Mm-hmm. Or free beer or something like that, which is actually, sorry, it's not allowed anymore, Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, depending on where you are, right? So I do imagine they they will come back into use, that that they'll be used more domestically. Um, There's also talks about digitalizing it, because right now all we have is that slip of paper, and it's actually quite difficult, I think, for airlines and people traveling to work with. And so they do need to digitalize it as well. But Yeah, that looks like it's not going to happen until December according to the Nikkei this weekend. Last question to wrap up. Um, You know, we're still talking at the moment about getting first and second doses out to the rest of the population. There's still 52% who still require a vaccine. um, And obviously they should be the priority. But in the US, we've seen talks of booster shots for people who are vaccinated early on in the vaccine program there. Is there talk of booster shots here in Japan as well? Yes. So the US FDA um, last month approved a, a third shot of Pfizer for people who are immunocompromised. And um, Japan, I think, is also anticipating the need for a third shot because they have cut additional deals for more shots of Pfizer and Moderna to come next year. Um, I do think the jury is still out on who needs a third shot, what type of people, and when you should get that. So, you know, I'm not sure if, you know, it's something we should put on our calendars yet or not, but um, I expect that there will be some more formal communication about that um, later this year. Kono has said that it's very likely that maybe some health workers may start getting their third shot sometime this year. Maybe some elderly can get one next year. But again, note that 
you know, you need to actually get a third shot approved through the health ministry in Japan, and, um, and you need Pfizer and Moderna to submit an a- application for that, and they haven't done that yet. And when they do submit the application, I think that's when we'll get the details on, you know, who that's targeting and the timeline. Lisa, thank you very much. Thank you. Very happy to be here again. My thanks to Lisa Du. It's always a pleasure having her on the podcast. Since recording this episode at the start of the week, a third death is now reportedly being investigated in connection to the contaminated Moderna vaccines, though the link is still thought to be coincidental and not causal. Reports also say that the government is now mulling a one-month, not two-week extension to the state of emergency in Tokyo and other major metropolitan areas. Those stories and other useful reading in the show notes. That's it for this week's episode. There'll be no new episode next week as I'm heading back to the UK to see my family for the first time since the pandemic began. Wish me luck navigating quarantine on both ends. We'll be back with an episode on September 22nd, episode number 100, featuring The Guardian's Tokyo correspondent, Justin McCurry. It's going to be a good one. Thanks for listening. And as always, Podskade Summer.